I was uh, challenged by many aspects of uh, Curtis's Left Behind series. That um, I was hoping he was here this morning so he could benefit from that joke. Um, there was one. There was one aspect that I I particularly appreciated. And that was each Sunday night after after Curtis brought a, brought a lot of content, a lot of full on stuff in the morning. We in the evening we had a, a question form, an opportunity to seek clarification uh, and to dig deeper into what it is we're hearing. And I just think that's such a powerful tool for discipleship to to ask questions and to contend together. But not all questions I have found are equally useful. You know, we say, you know, all questions are good questions, but they're not really. Some questions, good questions, will lead us deeper into the truth that God has for us. They will unearth more. They will help us work content, truth through and, and find what it means for us. But other questions, other questions can even lead us out of the truth. And they can hit, send us off on a wild goose chase of distraction. We grab hold of the wrong thing and we make that the thing. And suddenly our focus has nothing to do with what God actually is trying to say to us. This morning I want to continue discussing God's law and how his law relates to us. Now this is a topic that can be quite contentious. And there are all kinds of questions that can come up when we're talking about this stuff. What is the law? How do the Ten Commandments fit in? How does the law tie into the covenants? Is the law just for the Jews or is it for everyone? Did Jesus fulfill the law? Is the law still relevant today? Am I allowed to get a tattoo? What if it's of a cross or a Jesus fish? Is it okay then? Or a verse of scripture, surely that's okay? There's a lot of questions we might be asking, but the real questions we need to be asking are, how can I know and love God more? How can I love people more? How can I be more like Jesus? As you can see, those are very different questions. But we tend to get tied up with a focus on the doing, not the being. From the former perspective, the Bible is a law book, a prescription for living holy and righteous lives. Instead of a love book, a resource for knowing and loving God and others. This is a matter of perspective. And our perspective is largely a matter of our understanding of who God is. And who we believe God is actually defines our perspective on pretty much everything. There's a theological spectrum of who God is 
on which most Christians seem to sit. At one end is a holy, righteous, wrathful God of justice, an all-powerful judge who has given his people a law by which they must live or suffer the dire consequences. This God's kingdom is established by war, and he vanquishes his enemies. This is the God of the Old Testament. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he is still the same holy, angry, or hangry God today. At the other end of the spectrum is a loving, peaceful, compassionate God. He's a God of mercy. He's quick to kiss babies. He's quick to cuddle kittens. He's quick to forgive sins. And he offers grace freely to all, whether they ask for it or not. This God doesn't care how we live because his love covers all and we can't outsin his grace. This is the happy, friendly, permissive God of the New Testament. And you probably shouldn't read the Old Testament or most of Revelation. Because that's just confusing and most of it's not really that relevant anyway, is it? Now those are silly, uh, extremes, hyperboles to demonstrate a point. But from my ministry experience, I've found that there's something of truth in that. And But most of us don't sit at an extreme. Most of us will find some kind of uneasy equilibrium in the middle between the angry, vengeful God of the Old Testament, the lawgiver, the judge, and the merciful, loving God of the New Testament. And how we see God, well, it changes depending on the circumstance, depending on what we need, depending on the situation. When it comes to some things, depending on who you are, on abortion, something rises up within you and the God that you know is a God of law who is going to judge those who would hurt the innocent. On tattoos and smacking children, maybe maybe not so much. And the way we apply God to ourselves is different to the way we apply God to others. You see, the God for us is a nice, loving God. But when it comes to other people, we are more than happy for the Lord God Almighty to strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who would poison and destroy his creation. Oh, and you will know his name is the Lord when he lays his vengeance upon you. Oh, but not me. (laughs) Oh, because God loves me. Oh, we're best pals. And you know, my little sins and their little, the devil made me do them. And it's my fallen nature. It's not like I could help it. But that's okay because God is a loving God and he forgives me. Oh, but for you there is vengeance. That might sound absurd, but I think about how how my spirit riles up. At anger at what other people are doing. And oh, it looks like there's a huge log sticking in their eye, but no, no, it's, it's in mine. (laughs) 
I'm not sure any longer that we are supposed to be finding a middle ground in the middle because God's character is not a spectrum. God is not in the middle between justice and mercy, holiness and inclusivity, righteousness and grace. He is all of these things all the time. When he is angry, oh, and he gets angry. He doesn't stop loving then. He is loving through his anger the whole time. His justice is merciful. His mercy has justice. It's He is all these things all the time. We don't have to choose between them. He's not choosing between them depending on the context of things. These aren't choices for God. This is who he is. Love is not a choice for him. It is his nature. And it is his nature all the time. So God is not in conflict. He's not in conflict with himself. He's not in conflict with his nature. But to understand this, to understand how he can be complete in these things, how he can be perfect in these characteristics, we have to know him. Because even saying the words, they don't necessarily make any sense to me. How he can be angry and loving, just and merciful at the same time. But when I come to know him and experience those things in my life, it starts to make sense. Knowing him is the key to everything. To understand his law and what it means for us now, we must know him. The Bible is written in a code. And I don't mean the Bible code where you've got to count the letters. I don't mean that. What I mean is he has hidden stuff there for us to find. The Bible is a code. And the key to the code is Jesus. If we know Jesus, suddenly the Bible opens up and his truth pours out stuff we have been missing. If you don't know him, it doesn't make sense. Or rather, if you don't know him, the sense you find is not his truth. Because you can find a whole lot of stuff in there. Last Sunday I was sharing on the law of Moses, clarifying that we are not under the law, which includes the Ten Commandments. These are not part of the new covenant that God has invited us into. The new covenant, written in the blood of Jesus, sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Ten Commandments have nothing to do with this. They're not part of this covenant. And they have nothing to do with how we live our redeemed lives. Ooh. What do I mean by that? What did the Apostle Paul mean when he shared with the church in Galatians? I would like to learn just one thing from you, he said. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And in Romans 7, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. The Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, are not God's instructions for how we are supposed to live our lives. That's what God has given us the Holy Spirit for. We are called to live by the Spirit, not by the law. His law, the law of love, has been written on our hearts, not on the law written on stone. We seek counsel from him in us. The law written on stone was written for a different people at a different time for a different covenant. The fact is God's people who had the law had missed the heart of the law and what it actually meant. Something Jesus addressed in his Sermon on the Mount. And they missed the very one the law and the prophets were pointing to. The Ten Commandments weren't given to us. We didn't covenant to obey them. I certainly didn't. The Ten Commandments were there for a different purpose. The covenant we have been brought into asks us to believe and put our faith in Christ to receive God's forgiveness, brought by, brought by Christ's death on the cross, and to accept a new life lived in his spirit, a life of love and faith and hope. The law is obsolete. It has been replaced. Obsolete's not my choice of words. It's the author of Hebrews. Hebrews seven eighteen to 19. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Galatians two nineteen. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. We need to let the law lie and not try to resurrect it like the apostle peter then goes on to try and do and the circumcision cult in the early church was trying to do the apostle peter one of jesus in a circle a guy you would have thought knew him best is publicly internationally shot down by the apostle paul in the in the letter to the galatians because he was straying. Imagine that. I've said a few things that are, ooh, are a bit sketchy. And somehow I get away with a lot of them. Apostle Peter didn't get away with this. And so every time I read Galatians, I, I read the Apostle Paul shooting down Peter. Because he was going back to the law and trying to apply that to a new church. 
We need to let it lie because that law is dead to us. We have a new law. I've heard it said, if we throw out the Ten Commandments and the law, how will we know what God wants, what he likes? How will we know what is good? Well, first of all, I'm not teaching anyone to throw out any scripture. Not a word of it. For all scripture, all scripture is useful. It is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The fact that the law is obsolete in terms of bringing us to God doesn't mean that it's, it has no purpose to us whatsoever, and that we only need to read the second half of the book. But we need to rethink how we apply it and how it is useful. You see, the scriptures are useful, all of them are, but we need the Holy Spirit to interpret them for us, help us understand them and apply them to our lives, in our context, in our covenant, according to his purpose and plan. The Bible isn't our teacher. The Bible isn't our guide. The Holy Spirit is. But the Bible is useful for teaching, and the Holy Spirit uses it. As we open the word and seek the Spirit and ask him to illuminate it and lead us through it. See, the Bible, it sure is so useful for teaching God's truth. But it's also quite useful at teaching heresy. Not sure what I mean? Go and spend some time with a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness and get them to share from our scriptures. Even a Hare Krishna. Seriously, I had an encounter a couple of years ago. Hare Krishna was quoting scripture at me, showing me how Jesus was a vegetarian. And that if I wanted to truly be Christ-like, I needed to forsake meat, just like Christ. I bet it's a heresy. The Bible, read or taught without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, is at best confusing, and at worst it is deceiving, because it contains spiritual truth that must be taught by the Spirit. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
The Pharisees searched it. The scribes searched God's word. But they could not identify the true Messiah, even when he was standing right in front of them. I've heard it said that the law helps us know what God likes and what he doesn't like. If that is true, then the law clearly reveals that God likes circumcision, execution, the number 12, and the smell of burnt meat. God does not like crayfish, goatee beards, cheeseburgers, companion planting, and bacon. How can God not like bacon? How was that even a thing? That right there, I'll just throw it out. To know what God likes, don't, don't know the law. Know him. The more you know him, the more you will know what pleases him. What displeases him. To know what good is. Don't study what's bad. What's forbidden. Know him. For he is good. In fact, he alone is good. And knowing him and relating to him and communing with him. Goodness is produced in us. As a fruit of his Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in us produces righteousness. We will live righteously, not because of obedience to a written code, but because God is making us righteous. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in us produces love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then we don't have to try and strive to live like Christ because we are like Christ. Make no mistake, our Heavenly Father wants His children to be obedient, but not because He has commanded us to, not because we fear the consequences of disobedience. He wants us to obey him because we love him, because we trust him. As a father of young children, I get it now because that's exactly what I want from my kids. And when they do it, Oh, it's not possible for God, but for me, my love grows even more. He just can't help but love us. Now, I look forward to the day when, as I see my children's character developing, that their righteousness is not even a response to me or what they perceive are my expectations, but they live loving and righteously just because that's who they are. And so the development of my children's character is the thing that is most important to me and my family.
And so my greatest struggle there is to live my faith in such a way that they can see that in me, that I am modeling the love, the faith, the hope, the righteousness, the goodness, the kindness, the self-control. They see this in me. They can say, oh, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. So I love my kids being around people who God's character just pours out of. Love. Being free from the law means we are free to do whatever we want. But filled with the Spirit and transformed by His love, what we want is what He wants. What we desire is what He desires. And this the law could never accomplish. So let's let the law lie where Jesus left it, nailed to the cross. Let's reacquaint ourselves with his spirit, the spirit living in us, and let him show us the way to righteousness and our Father's blessing. For the Holy Spirit is our counselor, The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And so each day, we engage with him. We reach out to him. Waking up in the morning and finding him. And he's not hard to find because he's there. He doesn't go anywhere. It's not like, all right, he's off to sleep. Cool. I'll pop out, grab a coffee. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And the fact that we don't always perceive him and feel him has nothing to do with him or his presence. It's because we keep stepping out of spiritual reality. Living in, in the physical, not recognizing that the physical passes away, but the spiritual is eternal and is always there. He's there the whole time, but we switch off our spiritual perception. And it's a fight that I know I'll probably fight my whole life. Fighting the flesh to live in the spirit. So I need to start every day realigning myself to the kingdom of God. Just stopping and it is so hard to pause in this life that we live. But making a a choice, an effort of will, I will pause, I will stop, I will connect with my God. I will discern his presence. I will commune with him, even for a moment. And I will will invite him to walk with me throughout my day. I will tune into his voice, listening for his promptings, for his words of instruction, his words of encouragement, his words of warning. And I will choose to follow those promptings and act in faith. And as we do that, walking every day with his spirit, that time in his presence, the spirit is working away in us. For every time we choose to act contrary to our fallen nature and follow his promptings, 
acting in righteousness, acting in justice, acting in love. Those things are produced in us. We are sowing seeds within our own spirits. And the Holy Spirit is watering this and nurturing us, producing the very thing we are working to act out. So when we sow seeds of love, love is what the Spirit produces in us. Have you thought about how the fruit of the Spirit is produced? It would be nice to think that it's a passive thing. Receive Christ, seal of the Holy Spirit. Over time, it'll just happen. Been in faith a few years now. Still waiting. There is nothing passive about following God. We participate with the work of his spirit. Allow him to do the work in us. And the work he does is wonderful. As we choose to follow the Spirit's promptings and exercise those qualities, these are produced in us through the transformation of our character and the renewing of our mind. The more love you sow, the more love is produced. That is how he works. Let's let him do his work. What I want to spend a bit more time on uh, next Sunday night is looking at at the practical end of that, what I just shared. It's one thing to say, hey, off, off you go and practice the presence of God and, you know, she'll be right. Um, yeah, that, that one is quite a journey and I'm only, it feels like I'm only just starting out on that journey. So I want to explore that a lot more. How it is that we can connect with our God and allow him to minister to us, how we can hear his voice. So I want to talk about that a bit, a bit more next week. Because all of this is only possible with his spirit. And uh, sure, throw out the law. Without his spirit, we're dead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Every word of it. Lord, and I, I think of the love that King David had for your law and how you ministered to him through it. I thank you, Lord, that you minister to us through your Holy Spirit too. I thank you, Lord, for how your spirit uses your word teach us, to encourage us, to admonish us, to train us in righteousness, to draw us into you, to reveal truth. And I pray, Lord, that this morning and throughout this week, Lord, you would be revealing truth, Lord. I pray, Lord, that seeds of truth would be sown this morning for you to continue to water and and raise in us. Lord, anything that is not of you, Lord, I pray that would be forgotten. But Lord, I have faith to know that you are doing a work in us now. And I pray you'd Help us to take away what we need to take away. And Lord, as we as we endeavor to step out in faith, seek your presence and follow your leading, Lord, I pray that you would be there to, to be found. 
that the scales would come off our eyes, Lord, and our spiritual awareness would light up, Lord. And I pray, Lord, just as you've promised, as we seek you with all our heart, we will find you. Lord, for how, how can we flee from your presence? You're everywhere. So, Lord, I pray the law on our hearts, Lord, would just be amplified. They would know what it means to love you and to love others. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see what that means every day in the situations we face. And I pray, Lord, that this would produce a greater righteousness than anything the law ever did. Because this does change who we are. It changes our hearts. And so, Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet, surrendering to you and inviting you to do in us the work that needs to be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.